X-ray fun. Welcome aboard, Mr. Blodgett. I was waiting for you. <laughs> hey, guys, welcome. We're going to solve your problem today, Mr. Blodgett. Chris, welcome aboard. Qual <laughs> qualified monkey, welcome aboard. Mr. Renzetti, sir, welcome aboard. Hey, guys. So, uh, oh, Andrew, welcome aboard. So usually the thing, the way things work is we, we unlock the front doors and like there's a, a charge here. So we're going to let that taper a little bit. Um, and then we'll bring you in, Robin. Yeah, nice to have you here, Andrew. Bart, welcome aboard. I knew you'd be here. Adam, welcome aboard. So today is Sunday, and it is 1300 Eastern Time. Um, 17 Zulu. <laughs> and... In a strange turn of events, I am not working in the shop today um, because I have a pre-planned headache from getting my uh, booster yesterday, and uh, I'm taking the day off. But I would never abandon you uh, with such a magnificent opportunity as we have today. So I just have to remain conscious and vertical for one hour, and after that... <laughs> <laughs> I'm hitting the rack. Uh, I've got five sets of six-inch PFG stones sitting here with the major faces all done. And uh, those will get finished, uh, I don't know, Tuesday, I think. Thank you, Precisely and Precise. I wanted to make sure that the uh, nanobots can track my position even better. Um, okay, so with that... While while we're ramping up here, I'm gonna bring uh, I'm gonna bring Robin in. Why not? And we'll just chit chat until we get into the the meat of the topic today, which is lapping. Um, so Robin, go ahead and hit that magic button, and we will uh, we'll bring you in. So uh, if you guys have questions. The number one best thing to do is if you're on an app on a phone, there's like a little button down there that has a question mark uh, inside of a little, uh, you know, dialogue balloon. Uh, if you see that, that's the question button. That's the best way to put a question in. The second best way to put a question in is to put it in the chat. The reason I say that is sometimes the chat is rolling and we might miss a question. And I will be repeating the questions for Robin and I'm gonna hit the magic button on my end here, Robin. Let's see what happens. Did it work? Oh. Hey, it worked. Looks like it. Hey Robin, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for taking the time today to join us. No problem. It, it should be a fun, a fun hour. Uh, I'll keep an eye on the chat so you could relax. Uh, people are pouring in here. Um, and usually I give you guys, uh, I hit the wave button, and you may see me not do that. Don't take it personally. Uh, I got a lot to do now. So uh, how's the weather there in Pennsylvania? Uh, a little chilly, but uh, not bad. We actually saw some hail yesterday. Wow. Actually, uh, yeah, it was yesterday. We saw some, some little hail. It was crazy. So uh, welcome aboard, everyone. Still lots of people plowing in. Um, just to reiterate, today we're going to talk about lapping. So if you have lapping <laughs> questions, get them ready. Uh, feel free to stick them in the question button down below. That's the best way to submit a question. So the reason lapping came up, Robin, was um, Kevin uh, Blodgett, who is with us today. Hey, there's Chuck Bomarito. Hi, Chuck. Um, he and I got to talking on, on chat, and he, he's an instrument, a, a brass uh, instrument 
repair guy. Um, I'd be surprised if he's not also a musician. Um, but we got to talking about, he, he came to me and said, gee, can we make a, a PFG stone to, to hit the top of the, of the valve uh, body on a, um, I guess it was a saxophone. Um, fever tree, ginger beer. <laughs> okay, now I have to write that down now. <laughs> so, so far, my favorite's been the Bundaberg, but uh, I'll go looking for it. <laughs> so, uh, I, I just have tea today. And, and of course, I, I put a little bit of this in my tea, and uh, I like the 8 micron, and it really helps. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, Kevin, so we talked about this lapping idea. So all of a sudden, that was what kind of crystallized. It's like, let's talk about lapping, and let's see <laughs> if we get uh, Rope Robin in here to talk about lapping. So that's why we're here. Um, and I don't mind staying off topic for a few minutes while everybody, you know, shows up because we still have a very steep rate of uh, people showing up. Um, thanks for the, all the great uh, Instagram posts lately of some of these really cool precision uh, bearings and stuff you've been doing. It's been really quite instructive. Appreciate it. Uh, that missed most of my... Instagram, you'll notice, is not, uh, it's just whatever I feel might be educational and new uh, in in my travels and whatever I'm doing, um, I throw them in there. And if I don't have anything, uh, I don't have anything. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's it. All right. So we have we do have some questions. Um, okay. So Lainey, uh, Lainey Machine Tech. Our friend has a question. We're going to start off with him because otherwise I'm going to lose his question. It's in the chat. Lady Machine Tech says, uh, which phenomenon or phenomena are responsible for causing scratching during the lapping process? I, I'm going to hold that question for one, one minute because I think I want to define uh, or have you define for us in, in a couple of sentences what what is lapping? Okay. Number one, I, and I'm not joking. I am not an, a lapping expert. Um, I'm, I'm one of those guys who just uh, goes at it and um, uses my mechanical intuition and experience to get to an end result. And um, yes, that usually works, but I truly am not a trained lapping specialist, but um, lapping is, a process of taking some sort of abrasive and typically having a lap material, which is softer than the material that you intend to lap, meaning the part such that the abrasive particles will tend to embed in the softer lap and basically turn into an abrasive tool. Is lapping always considered a process where the the abrasive is embedded into the lap is that is that a no. definition no no uh, because there's also free abrasive lapping uh, which is where tumbling abrasion occurs and there actually was a company called speedfam whose specialty was free abrasive uh, lapping um, but that typically gives a matte finish even though it's flat it's matte um, and, uh, if that's, if that works for you, that's great. Um, actually one of the, the, my recent posts here on this bearing arrangement was using the, um, silicon carbide, dry silicon carbide powder and, and, um, alcohol and doing exactly that free abrasive tumbling abrasion. And what was good about that is, is it gives you a very textured, uh, mechanical tooth surface to those gluing areas. And if you look at those pictures, you'll see there was like a, just a flat matte look, no shine whatsoever, just the ideal uh, surface for um, uh, bonding. 
and in the process by using the flat materials and the silicone mat and the magnetic chuck, I was able to actually have it make the mating surface more uniform so that the glue line would be relatively parallel and any high spots and things would get rubbed down. So best of all worlds there, but that's free abrasive. Yes, two different things. And one note here, it's very important to realize that, that your lapping uh, technique, you need to be identifying what modes you're in. Uh, well, I'll stop there because we'll get, probably get into that further. That's pretty awesome. Uh, I know I have this mental picture of uh, aluminum oxide grains being a little roundy and silicon carbine grains being much sharper. Uh, does that have to do with the, the, the surface ending up matte with the silicon carbide? Um, well, the silicon carbide is just a harder abrasive than aluminum oxide. The actual particle shape, I think, um, just like all aluminum oxides, there's all different grades of aluminum oxide, like 38A, you know, versus 32A, 38A is a, a, in grinding wheels, is a much more friable uh, uh, particle, which tends to be a pickier, uh, you know, gnarlier kind of uh, grain. Um, so, yeah, that's somewhat independent of the, of the abrasive. Okay. And not, one other thing is some of these things here I might be saying might be my, uh, just my opinion and might not be technically correct. So I'm not just because when people speak authoritatively, people assume it's all correct knowledge. And I'm giving you a warning that everything I say here might not be correct. Actually, that's a requirement on this particular line. Yeah. <laughs> so that's to totally fine. Okay, I'm going to pull one from the question box here. Um, that's a good one. I like this one. Um, if you could have just a few lapping compounds in your toolbox, which would they be? Uh, in my case, the, a diamond and a garnet uh, or time saver or whatever. Diamond because uh, if you're out to get precise surfaces, you want an abrasive that really cuts. And in my opinion, if you're doing hardened steels, anything but diamond is a total waste of time. It'll get the job done, but you're just making life miserable for yourself compared to using diamond. On the other hand, if there's things where you want to, uh, as an example, lap softer materials, you have something that's a cold rolled steel and you want to lap it. Well, then you better be using garnet and some soft lap where the uh, garnet being a, uh, quote, uh, non-charging, and all that means is, is, is it's a soft abrasive that's very friable, and the more you lap with it, the more it diminishes to nothing. And you keep going far enough and keep rinsing, it basically disappears. So that's somewhat the premise of the time saver uh, materials, and garnet is just, just as good for that application. So those, those would be the two if I could only have two, one for the hard stuff, one for the soft stuff. I, I pulled off my shelf some stuff that um, I bought and, of course, have no idea how to use. Uh, the clover, uh, which is locked up. Not, nothing wrong with that. And that's a um, – let's see what that is. Silicon carbide, I believe, that's probably. Yeah, they call it a silicon carbide grease. So yeah. uh, it's pretty heavy. This one's a 600 – and uh, some, so this is more clover in a little kit. Yeah. And, and I, do, I do use those, even though I said diamond. When I was talking about hard stuff, I meant, you know, uh, hardened tool steel and things. Uh, but your other things where you're doing a, a housing or something and you want a bearing seat to be especially round and you're going to lap it more for geometry and, and fine-tuning of size purposes, absolutely nothing wrong with those compounds. I have several of those also. Um, uh, Laney Machine Tech says... Uh, also, I know you use cast iron for flat lapping and aluminum for cylindrical lapping and diamond as an abrasive almost exclusively. <laughs> but what about other lapping substrate materials and abrasives? Um, any, anything is uh, cast iron is good uh, because um, it's relatively hard, but also relatively chargeable. Um, the, uh, in my mind, you need to think of a lap, uh, and the materials for laps, D uh, ductility is also a very important thing. So like copper laps, brass laps, aluminum laps, um, uh, 
magnesium is an actual an excellent lab because it's a very ductile material. Um, the ductility allows the particles to embed easily and also get pushed around. And that's the, the addressing the scratching aspect a little bit. Uh, the softer the lap, the more that the lap will take a big particle and suck it up rather than causing a scratch. So that's why wood or, or um, phenolic or something very forgiving for finishing or even cloth and metallographic uh, things, metallographic being where you're using lapping to prepare specimens for uh, metallurgically looking at the grain structures and things. Um, those things off very, very frequently use uh, like a woven nylon or uh, proprietary mats that are very soft to do exactly that charge, hold the particles well enough to, to behave and act as a lap, but are, are allow any rogue particles to just kind of sink down in instead of causing a big gouge. So this is my question. When, when you are using a soft material as a lap, um, you're obviously not cop well, you are copying the soft materials surface uh, to some extent. Uh, how do you maintain precision? Is it just uh, careful application and remeasuring? I think, I think you're, are you talking about the mutual averaging effect that is kind of inherent in lapping is whether or not that's occurring or not? Basically, lapping, one of the things that in lapping, as far as like flat lapping and round lapping and all these things and, and holes, is there's a, a mutual uh, enhancement effect that goes on. But that can only occur if there's some abrasion on both. Meaning if you have a, if you have a super soft lap that, that is charged and, and is only going to cut, it's not going to round up. It's going to hit, all the high spots are going to hit for a long time and it's not going to create the geometry that you're after. But, but that's, that's where the skilled lapping person will say, if I run this lap loose, I'll switch into tumbling mode and I'll force that lap to behave and get eaten and change. So that's where the, the, the pressure on your adjustable ID lap or your pressure on your OD lap, there, that's where the skill comes in. Knowing how to feel for that, whether you've got any tumbling abrasion going on, and, and a good way to tell that is what color is the swarf? If you have an aluminum lap or you have a brass lap and you're lapping steel and you've got all this gold powder coming off, guess what's getting abraded? <laughs> the lap. lap. <laughs> okay. And, and uh, sometimes you can get in that mode and it's tough to get it to change. And that can drive you crazy. So, so that's a very important aspect of realizing the good and bad of tumbling abrasion uh, versus that. So ideally, if you're out for real precision, and if we have time, I'll give you a real quick story. Um, where I worked, uh, we made diamond industrial um, uh, dressing rolls. And we bought a brand new Moore number three measuring machine, which was like completely ridiculous for the size company we were, but we needed it to, for the precision that we had to inspect parts for uh, to be able to make the parts. Well, the quill kept sticking. The more serviceman comes down when we were very good buds, uh, came down like three times crocus clothing the outside of the quill, taking it out, crocus clothing the outside of the quill, putting it back in very carefully, still sticky. So I said to him, I said, that's it. We need to lap this thing. And he just about pooped his pants. And I said, no, I said, trust me. I said, I guarantee we can do this. And how we do that is we make a, the, the ID lap and an OD lap matched, both out of the exact same material so that you get the mutual averaging, use the, the diamond size you're going to use, lap them on each other and actually adjust the lap so that it's actually on size. So instead of the, any conditioning happening with the OD lap on the quill, it was ready to go, charged, completely pristine, we did that, end of story, and everything was fixed. That's so there's an example of where knowing what's going on and, and uh, you know, doing a proper sequence there, you can do that kind of thing. And what material were the laps made out of? Cast iron. Okay. So uh, cast iron is a very common lap material. I mean, yes. And, and yeah, and um, bronze, uh, you know, soft bronzes, pretty much anything works. 
uh, as long as it's, you know, some degree softer than the, what you're trying to lap. Oh, that's awesome. Good story, too. Uh, Aaron asks, what I was always wondering is how do you keep your lapping plate from wearing if the thing you are lapping is smaller than the plate? Okay, and, and that's, that's where... Um, that's where I really um, go nuts with people uh, as far as with technique. So uh, like the, the, um, the, the last thing I showed, and that was purely by chance that I happened to be doing that lapping of that hardened race just before this Sunday on, on the, the, those races there. So there is an example of where, uh, and the, I'm just going to jump into this particular lapping technique because I think this is really important for with hand lapping with machine lapping is a whole different animal when you got a lap master and all that yeah you the plates flat and you've got pressure plates and all that all that works great but when you're hand lapping there's only one thing that matters you lap your part you take it off you look at it with an optical flat and you see what shape it is if it's con and, and your technique has to be good on the lap but you you look at it and you say okay is it convex or is it concave all right if the part is convex that means your lap is concave. So you only need two laps. You always have to have two laps. You don't need three. Forget three. Forget the three-plate method. Forget it. Not, totally unnecessary. So you take this lap, which you know is concave, and you know, and there's a, another golden absolute rule of, of lapping. A round lap, one on top of the other. The upper lap is going to go concave, the bottom lap's gonna go convex, period. The more you overhang, the quicker it happens and the, the more, you know, the greater it comes. People who do telescope lenses know this very well. This is how you can get to the radius of curvature you're after and all that. Now, I look at the lap and I say, what do I need to do? I go over, I put the, whatever I need to do, whatever I need to change shape, I do it a little bit, I go lap again. And I say, okay, am I there? No, a little bit more. It took me about five passes of checking back and forth very quickly on that race until I got those straight lines that are probably at least half a band's uh, flatness on there. So the forget the shape of the lap. See what the lap's generating. You have to have good technique so you're not chasing your tail. You can't be rocking your part all around and making it spherical because you're, you know, doing bad stuff with your hands on the lap. Um, so that's that. Now, the lap uh, coverage, all, people just dive in the center of the lap, roll around in the center, do figure eights, do all that stuff. Nuts. It, you have to go orbits on the outside and work your way to the center very rarely. You know, But you have to cover everything. When I do, um, I've, I've done many times, I've done these um, keyway gauges, which are basically gauge blocks for keyways. And I've showed those on there very, very flat. I mean, gauge block flatness. On those on a round lap, I do straight strokes on the lap. I start on one edge. I go edge to edge all the way across the lap. I'll turn the lap 90 degrees, and I'll do the same thing coming back the other way, always using the lap. That, that's absolutely essential. You have to be picturing the wear of the lap and keeping it the same and continuously using your other lap to, to charge. So I will every time I put slurry on, I will take the other lap, sit on there, if I don't need to change shape at all, I'll do a very small orbit, but I'll do that to basically make sure that any whoop-de-doos or things that I put in from my lapping are being taken out every time. Excellent. And, and I just wanted, in case people forget, that's concave. Of course, I should have written it backwards, but I don't know how. Uh, concave means, means the sides are caved in, right? And convex, yeah. the other one. Uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, let's go to our question bucket. Uh, Fad Radcator asks, can you overcharge your slurry? What's too much? Uh, yes, you can have too much abrasive. And um, meaning that the, the there's so much on there that you um, you end up with more than can charge in. And then it forcibly is, is forced to tumble because it has to go somewhere as opposed to being a little shy of abrasive and, and uh, telling that there, there's also, there's also magic in the um, abrasive uh, in the slurries for manufacturers. 
So you can take compound and mix it with WD-40 and or whatever your favorite lube is and put it. But if you've ever experienced using like buying some real Kemet, uh, that's one I have experience with, uh, slurry or an actual manufactured slurry, those solutions are not just some willy-nilly you know, thing. They are really engineered to make lapping happen really well. And the, it's night and day difference. Um, even on the um, ceramic lap, which is a different story, how, that, how the mechanics of that happens. But on a ceramic lap, that stuff cuts like mad. So there is benefit in actually buying a purpose-built slurry um, if you intend to do much. Uh, it, it's, it pays off. Cool. Excellent answer. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Who's next? Um, we got that one. Oh, we got... Okay, so the question box is empty. And let me go back and chat here. Is it true that you can lap with ginger beer? I'm just kidding. That's just... Um, oh, okay, this is a fair question. Uh, he's, uh, DWC Plumbing and Heating says, may I ask, what is arithmetic average? So you talked about the resulting surface coming from the average of what's coming off the lap and what's coming off the work. Can you give somebody who maybe doesn't have a lot of math? Uh, well, the arith arithmetic average is one of the um, terms used in surface finish terminology as one of the gazillion different ways of interpreting what you're looking at from the topography of the surface. So, um, and, and I'm, I have to go look those things up. I'm no expert on there, but um, AA, so you, that's a typical thing you'll see, you know, a five AA finish arithmetic average. It's just defining the math of when you see the actual stylus travels and you mathematically take what's there, it's how they condense that into a number that isn't peak the valley or whatever. It's, it, it is, it is, uh, and there's also there's a, 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 all kinds of things in surface finish, uh, kurtosis, you know, is it a bunch of real high peaks with, you know, a, a low plateaus or vice versa, you know, as to how the bearing area actually works on that whole, whole science in itself. But I think um, the averaging might be what he's talking about, where we're talking about the surface geometry averaging out. So when you take a cylinder that's triangular, you take uh, centerless ground stock, which typically has some form of some uh, amount of trilobularity in it, meaning it's it's not actually round. You measure it in a V block or whatever, you'll see it's got some shape. Even the precision ground stock you get uh, drill rod, most of all of it has some amount of that. And you think that's round, or you even buy precision ground um, shafting, and you think it's round until you run a lap on it, and then you realize, holy smokes, that looks like garbage. Um, and Stefan, uh, in my um, um, D-bit grinder rebuild, and one which Stefan has just uh, been doing to his, um, you can see the effects of that. So there is a case of where that averaging there or elastic averaging that we're talking about, we're talking about the highs and lows knocking each other off and you end up with something that's way more cylindrical in the end with good technique than either of them started out with. And, and so that might be the aspect he's talking about, but either way, I think we've hit it from both, both ends. Uh, yes. Uh, let's see. Tyson blaze 10 says, can we use non-metallic materials as laps? For example, Delrin or some machinable plastics. Uh, yes, they, they work very well. But um, the the in thinking of a lap, there's always this trade-off of it can be super easily charged, but it could, if it doesn't have enough strength to keep the particle from skidding in the lap and creating a trough in the lap also, then it's not really effective. So there's that trade-off of having a little bit of tenacity to hold the particle, yet still have the particle be able to embed. So a really good material for a lap for that type of thing would be like linen phenolic uh, material. So it's got a crispy, a crispy uh, phenolic resin, but it also has the linen fibers that are in it that give places for these particles to embed. Um, 
Delrin is uh, too as an example nylon, a little bit too rubbery. So you're not gonna you're not gonna get any. Um, it's it's not going to abrade easily. It's not going to get shaped easily. It has to have a little bit of crispiness of, of a plastic in order for it to conform to the thing. Wood wood works really well for like high polishes. Like take a piece of pine and you know bore a hole in it that's the size of your part and put you know like one micron on it and yeah yeah it, it's crazy. And there's a case of where it's soft enough that the particles. No particle is going to give you a scratch because it just it just dives into the wood and and embeds in the wood deeper. But Robin, wood is not nearly expensive enough. <laughs> okay, use uh, use uh, ebony. Eb yeah. Okay. Or uh, ironwood or uh, yeah. Now you're talking. Um, uh, I think we covered your your question on scratching. We'll come back to you, Laney. Uh, Mr. Croteau says, let's talk more about foil on surface plates. I think, uh, I think, uh, Ox Tools did a little thing on putting a piece of tin foil on a surface plate and that's your lap. What do you think about that? Yeah, I also showed that on the lap, um, on my surface plate lapping where I used the, um, oh, yeah. adhesive backed, uh, aluminum foil um from mcmaster and uh there's a case of where uh that can work but if you're out for that will work as far as abrasion but if you're out for, for precision you have to keep in mind the um stability and precision of the surface so anything that's got an adhesive backing that can keep moving around and all that if you're trying to lap uh, precise stuff can give you trouble but aluminum on a plate can work very well. That, absolutely. Excellent. Uh, one, one other biggie is uh, grooving of laps is extremely important because of, yeah, um, of breaking up the um, surface such that the speed at which a hydrodynamic film starts to form gets, gets, um, faster and faster and so in other words if you have a surface that is has no grooves hydrodynamic film forms very easily got a very large surface area and that forms right away and that's a, a real bane to hand lapping because it starts to float gives you edge rounding that's where your your goes it goes flat and at the edges you get this roll off so um i'm also a fan of fine fine shallow um uh grooves because uh, when you put your slurry on, it all runs down in the grooves. So having grooves that are only deep enough to break up the surface pressure is a big advantage in cleaning and everything else. So uh, my, my grooves on my laps are probably only maybe 10 thousandths deep at the most and, and narrow and, and fine pitch. Um, it's also uh, important to, to note that um, if you're out for real precision at the very end, very slow strokes where you almost can feel the, the part starting to tend to ring to the lap is very helpful because then you know you're getting down to where you're getting absolutely no float on the on the film of, of slurry. Outstanding. Uh, that's pretty cool because I've been thinking about making some laps and uh, we'll get back to that. So let's see. Another question. Uh, Laney, Machine Tech relentlessly asks do grooves also contribute to scratching well um contaminate if you're uh, if you're out for for crazy finishes um and it matters whether there's any high polish on deep scratches which is an easy phenomenon to have uh basically if you when, when you are abrading something, let's just take it with sandpaper. You start with 220, and you polish a shaft. And if you go from 220 to 1200, you're absolutely going to have high polish on deep scratches. There's, it's going to take you a century to get that 1200 to actually get down to where you have a uniform 1200 finish. So that's where, why you see people go through this progression. You say, yeah, yeah, I'm in a hurry. Well, you're in a hurry, but you're not going to get there because – you got to go from your 220 to the 320 and down through if you want to get there the quickest way. 
Um, the same thing can apply in, in lapping, uh, that you need to go through a progression. Now, a, a lap will cut quicker because you've got, uh, well, it's more and so in cylindrical lapping because you've got controlled pressure where you can't have any hydrodynamic, you, you, hydrodynamic float is, is in controlled and how tight you have the lap as opposed to where you're hand lapping and your hand pressure is all, and gravity is all that's been keeping you from, from floating. Um, the the um, particles can get in the grooves, uh, the, the abrasive, you know, the um, actual swarf and all those things, and you keeping a lap clean, those grooves can be a place where keeping it clean is a problem. And any dirt you have around when you're lapping, if you're going to try to do gauge block finishes, um, you, you better have, you know, a dust cover and all these things because just ambient dust and things can get on there. Once you get a piece in a lap, um, and, and, and on a flat lap, you can identify this. Sometimes you'll get a scratch, and you'll actually be able to see the particle where you'll see the little streaks all radiating off the particle. And that's a particle that you need to dig out manually, literally take a little you know, blade and go in there and pick that particle out because it's going to stay there forever and just keep scratching and you'll keep seeing those marks around it forever. Once one of those ends there, that, that unless you pick them out, you're done. But that is also a place where you can take a sacrificial piece, go into tumble abrasion mode in your lapping, keep it loose, intentionally abrade the lap to chew the whole lap surface away and refresh it. And, go, and then come back to charge again. That's awesome. So it sounds like the real skill is being able to be in tumble mode or, or charged mode at will and yeah. doing the right thing. Um, yeah, and Andrew Lassure asks, and he apparently is a Laney Machine Tech's wingman, uh, I don't think I really heard an answer on sources of stray scratches that Laney asked about. So I think <laughs> I think we got it. So I'm going to call that gotten. And uh, if we didn't get it, we'll try to hit it again later. Yes, a stray scratch is a a rogue particle that is bigger or uh, sitting at an obnoxious angle relative to the rest in a lap that's too hard or whatever that um, is just causing a scratch. And it that and that scratch, like I say, especially this embedded particle, that it really gets seeded in and is high in the lap. That's not just gonna go away. It, it, you have to actually identify that. And um, unfortunately, that can turn up and you all of a sudden you were going great. And then now you've got these, all these spiral scratches in your piece and you're like, oh man. And there's no answer other than get that lap to behave. And there's not, keep in mind, there's the best thing to do there is you're, 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 let's say you're lapping a one-inch piece. Get a piece of one-inch cold rolled and go lap on that cold rolled first and get the lap in condition, then come back to your piece. Don't think you have to get that lap to behave on your workpiece. Sometimes it pays to go behave. And I, and I have actually matched sets of ID-OD laps where the ID lap is purely to condition the OD lap, and I keep it there, but I can expand it up to size so that I can keep conditioning the OD lap and those two together as a pair. Uh, I've heard that the problem of Im an embedded diamond also can occur on a uh, grinder magnetic chuck. I've only heard this. It's completely a rumor. I have never experienced it myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the little star, the little, the little star yeah. shape is, it's like, look at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Mr. Uh, Karakuri, PGH, who is a regular here, says, have you found there to be a universal lap groove spacing geometry or do you adjust it for material? Um, on flat laps, uh, for some reason, I just like a, uh, not for any particular reason, but I like uh, the 60 degree versus 90 degree or 30 degree, whatever you want to call it. So I have diamonds instead of squares. Yeah. Purely, um, I can't justify it for any other reason, but definitely fine pitch. Well, then, uh, then you could use your, your newly uh, uh, set up D-bit grinder to make a lovely 60-degree uh, single-point cutting tool, right? Yes, yep. And I, I, I do that in the router um, 
Uh, I've done a, a set, lots of posts where I've done actual surface plates and that with the router. And uh, it's amazing how those bits last. To do an entire plate, even a plate that was charged um, with diamond and, and groove it, and uh, they help hold up amazingly well. That is very cool. Uh, we're going to rip through these pretty quick. Oh, you know, I don't, we, I don't think we actually answered that question, though. Uh, we, we was talking about the grooving. Um, on cylindrical wrap, lapping, uh, axial grooves, in my mind, are all that are necessary. You want something where you the, the um, slurry has a place to reside that is full length so that it can wick into the surface all the way around. So we, there, the, if you're, if you're going to do it one way or the other, I would do axial grooves, um, typically with bandsaw if it fits, um, or, you know, doing a shaper, shaper mode on the lathe with a tool, go inside and, and put grooves in. Um, they're the most effective in my mind for the uh, cylindrical. And then the flat, uh, like I say, diamond is, is my preferred, but not, not for any, technical reason that can be justified so uh, is it a correct statement to say that the motion of the lap should be at uh, perpendicular to the line of the groove um yes because otherwise if it wasn't as think of it this way if you if you did uh just radial grooves that weren't a thread you could actually get an effect where uh, if you don't move the lap continuously where you actually end up starting to create grooves in the part it just sat still and just sat there, and it, you'd actually end up with ridges where it was abrading, but not where the grooves were. But I don't think anybody's going to do that on purpose. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify, you know, radial versus axial. Um, let's see. Wow, you guys are, like, keeping us busy here. Um, oh, here's a good one. Uh, Mr. Blodgett, repairer of uh, fine brass instruments says is tumbling versus charged determined by the cutting particle size no it's it's determined by the uh gap between the two pieces so if you um intentionally close the the you put you put slurry on the on the parts and you and let's just make it cylindrical to make it easy and you close your cylindrical lap down and the effective gap lap uh, gap size that's there is now one third radially is one third of the particle size. Okay, no tumbling abrasion is going to occur, or very little, because you've just smashed all the particles into the lap. They have nowhere to go. But if you just get it to where you can just barely tell that you're getting rubbing, the, the lap's not flopping around like a fish, and you can just tighten it to the point where you say, okay, I, I can't really wiggle the lap, but I can turn it freely. Now you know that the part there's room for those particles to just tumble end end end, and you don't. As soon as you start to constrain that too much, they're going to start poking in and embedding. So it's it's the relationship of you need a gap that's roughly the particle size, um, uh, and maybe the particle size not on the. Think of the particle being square. You could probably get away with the particle size being the square dimension. Um, I mean the, the gap being the square dimension, and hopefully it would tumble or make it a hex, cross corner on hex versus cross the flat on the hex. Um, as an example, if you adjust the lap until the gap is the cross the flats of the hex, there's room for the it to get up on edge and the um, cross corners will start to poke into the lap and, and in, you know, poke, poke the material, both materials, and you get this rolling action that goes on. Awesome. Um... Okay, there's a in the chat. There's a something taking place here. Andrew Lasura says, "I have had a few instances of going slow and getting surfaces to almost ring together, and surface finish seems to suffer immensely." Wait, uh, let me read that again. I have had a few instances of going slow and getting surfaces to almost ring together, and surface finish seems to suffer immensely. If it gets that tightness of ringing for a moment, any thoughts? So I guess Andrew's saying it gets tighter and tighter and, and it's almost ringing, and then the surface finish gets harmed. 
Um, well, you, you, you can still get uh, smearing and things going on. I, I don't, I'm not sure whether he's talking about cylindrical wrap, lapping or flat lapping. Um, it, it, the, you still have to have lubrication. And um, if you're, if you're uh, that's, hard to, that's hard to tell, depending on what what's a particle size you're talking about um, and different things like that. But the um, you can go too far on the slow to where um, it has to still be smooth. So at, when you're feeling that and you have that that pressure, you have to control that. If you press too hard and it starts to ring, you have to you have to let off to let that not get too far in that direction because you don't want to get to the point. And you also have to remember one very important thing about lapping is. You have to respect the strength of the of the charge, meaning how much force can I put on before the charge gets torn out? So and that depends on how hard the lap is versus the part and all those things. So that that the actual tension on the lap is is very, very important. You have to get that feel where you say, okay, that drag right there, I can tell that's really cutting happy. And you go more more tighter does not mean faster. You know, it's not like, oh, I need to take this off quicker, make it tighter. No, you can end up just tearing the charge out um, because there's a, there's a, a in my um, surface plate lapping, that's where I really experienced the, the effects of having a lap with too heavy of a PSI on the charge. The 18-inch plates I have are very, very heavy challenge surface plates. They're 135 pounds for an 18-inch square surface plate which is over double what an average, you know, garden variety surface plate is. And that amount of weight on the charge exceeded its ability to stay in the plate. And that's where you get smears and you go along and you feel a drag and pull and oh, that's no good. So there, there is a, a range of pressures for a given lap and how the charge stays in there where you get good cutting that it's happy with. You exceed that, and you and you start to, to tear and, and drag things out. Fascinating. Um, <clears throat> DWC Plum, Plumbing and Heating asks, does heat treatment affect surface finish after lapping? I am an amateur. Listen, buddy, we're all amateurs here, <laughs> except Robin. Robin's not an amateur. Can you have, so let me, re let me phrase it a different way. Can you have a situation where you do your lapping and then you go to heat treating? Is that ever a condition that you, is that ever a good way to go? Uh, is, if you're using vacuum, if you're using vacuum heat treating, it's not a problem. Okay. So we've talked to, forget it, forget it on any other process. And, and, and in reality, this is my chance to promote vacuum heat treating. If you're, if you're doing something that can be vacuum heat treated, just save yourself a whole bunch of grief. Spend $105 for a minimum run at Solar Atmospheres. I get nothing from them. And your parts come back so pristine, absolutely no decarburization. Um, they're just a thing of beauty with no distortion, everything. It's just saves so much grief. I, I am looking forward to using them. I, I have a project that I want to I do that uh, with them, but I haven't done it yet. Okay. Uh... Let's see. I don't know what order these are coming in. Now, keep in mind, his example there, the surface finish would be fine, but that doesn't mean that that part, if you're talking, you know, roundness in 50 millionths or tenth areas, it doesn't mean that part's going to stay that round. The surface finish will still be there, but the geometry will suffer. So if you're lapping for precision, obviously it needs to be done after heat treatment. Okay, I think we landed that. Um, Prototype3D.ro, uh, welcome aboard, sir. Uh, must be late there. Um, asks the. Uh, oh, he, he's asking about the ratio between the dimension of the of the part and the dimension of the lap. For example, in round lapping, I think he means like the width of a of a of a lap that you're you're using on a round. Okay. There's. Um, uh, when you're talking about geometry creation, you'll see examples in lapping uh, articles and things where they'll show a very long lap, like a lap that might be two-thirds the length of the part. 
And a lap like that is to take a banana out of a part, <laughs> curvature out of the part. So you're looking at the lap to do geometry correction that is other than roundness. It's also straightness or bow of the part, curvature of the part. Um, now, that's fine and dandy, but very hard to control because all lapping, you have to keep in mind thinking about what, what the wear pattern is, what, what, what parts of the lap are being exercised and what parts, just in the normal stroking of things, what's going to get more abrasion regardless of what you do. So I would say for normal cylindrical lapping, I would not use a lap that's more than uh, maybe a quarter of the length of the part that you're lapping. And if it's uh, if it's real long shaft, like um, you know, like a like the D bit grinder example, it might be eighteen inches long, and it's only roughly an inch in diameter. Um, you know, two inches long, whatever. It, you're you're more concerned with roundness there and uniformity than you are with it. You're not going to get the banana shape out of that thing. So um, yeah, and also as far as like um, in Laney's example of doing the um, cylinder square. There's an example of where you don't want a real long lap because you can't control where you're lapping to get rid of the shape. So if it's big in the center or the ends or whatever, being able to use a shorter lap to go concentrate on the areas where it needs it. And that's where with just the right drag, you can tell what's going on without even miking it. You can say, ah, oh, okay, oh, okay. And you just focus on the areas where you get the more drag and come back and then you have to constantly maintain that drag but you go hit the high points, snug up a little bit, and you can you can probably get within 20 millionths of straightness just by feel, by by having a good a lap that's in good shape, and feeling the drag. I, I can I can see that I can see how you're 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 just mapping as you're going. Yeah, that, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Laney says yes. Switching to the shorter lap was a revelation. Well, stick around. There's more where that came from. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see who else we got here. Uh, and Chris, he, he called he, he called an outside consultant for that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of outside consultants. Um, metrological appar apparatus. Welcome aboard, sir. What what kind of lapping technique do you go for to lap machine ways? For example, a V and a flat. Um, there's where um, you can use um, small block laps as shown in Foundations of Mechanical Accuracy. And uh, there's a case of where you have to be able to keep the lap in shape. You have to realize that the if you don't keep twisting the lap, changing its orientation minutely, you can't just sit in a V, let it sit on the one side and go back and forth because it's just going to form a groove pattern and whatever the charge looks like on that is going to get mapped onto the part. You still have to do variations of position, flip it end for end, and then and then condition, constantly recondition it. So if I was doing a way like that, I'd have my surface grinder set up. I'd buzz the lap surface. I'd charge it. I'd use it for a little bit. I'd go back on the grinder and just keep going back and forth. And then obviously you need a means of determining where you need to lap uh you know and how much and yeah the, the, a lot of finesse involved there and in, in not making it worse than it was okay now i'm gonna i'm gonna start speeding up here because we have a lot of questions um okay i'm gonna skip that and guys i, I apologize we, we have only seven minutes and i'm gonna skip a couple if i think they've been answered um So this is a, and I think we covered that. Uh, just talk amongst yourselves. Yeah, I think we covered that. <clears throat> uh, the pragmatic machinist, also known as Chris, asks, is lapping taught in school on your home planet? <laughs> <laughs> it's taught in preschool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that's just awesome. Um, okay, Steve7028. And Steve, I'm not picking on you. Yeah, I kind of am. He asked, what about handscaping? What? <laughs> I think he means scraping. 
Oh, he, he's great. I was giving him grief. Okay. So, so what about that's an what about hand shaving? So that's an interesting question because people are imagining, oh, lapping is super accurate. So why don't I go to my ways and just lap it, lap both sides, put them together, and off we go. Um. Well, actually, there's uh, the people who followed my grinder rebuild intently uh, saw that there's a technique that has to be used very carefully, but that's where um, you scrape using your whatever masters you're using for the geometry. And as an example, the, uh, the saddle or the table of the grinder, you do all that, you scrape it as if that's the end, you're done. And then... I use 0 .03, 0 .03 micron alumina. Very, very fine stuff. Insanely small particle sizes, okay? On the verge of not being an abrasive. And, and um, kerosene. And I put the machine together, lubed with that. Just This isn't like a paste. This is just enough of that stuff in there that it, you can barely tell it's there. And what that does is all the peaks of the, that are actually contacting turn into mirror finishes. I mean, like gauge block mirror finishes. And uh, it does several things. Number one, it's a very, very sensitive tell of where the bearing is and isn't, or is heavier and lighter. Now, at that point, I might go back and say, oh, this needs to be opened up a little bit here. This is, this is really dense here, and I'm light here. And I might go in and flake with the scraper a little bit and do it again. But once I've got it to where I know I'm not cheating by actually trying to lap the ways together, I will lap that significantly, and, and Laney Machine Tech will, will uh, attest to this. Um, the, in, tri in tribology, meaning study of lubrication and uh, interface of materials sliding on each other and those things, surface finishes everything. Having the plateaus of your scraping being these perfect mirrored surfaces means that that scraping is going to stay put right where you left it and not rub its way in and have all this abrasive, not abrasive, but particles that have to rub off and get embedded in the oil and all that. That doesn't happen. It's like pre-worn in. And I, I looked at my ways uh, lately here, looked underneath with a flashlight, still looks like gauge block surfaces on the bottom of that scraping. Okay, and that, that oil film has this perfect uh, thing. So there is a case of, of scraping combined with lapping, but very, very cautiously and with, with care. Outstanding. I, I didn't, I f either I forgot, because it's been so long since you, since you posted that, or I didn't uh, remember that you did that. That was awesome. Uh, we have one question here. And if, with your permission, I'll give my answer first. Do you- Sure. Do you ever save grinder swarf for lapping use? My answer is no. Agreed, no. Let's move on. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, that's a pretty good question. Metrological Apparatus asks, how do you charge the lap evenly? Okay, um... On my little six-inch round cast iron laps, I just put a swirl, like a spiral swirl of, of slurry on there. And because my, my grooves are so shallow, it all doesn't run into the grooves. And then I take the upper lap and put it on. I never put, I never put slurry on and then put the part on slurry. I always take the mating lap. Remember, I always have pairs of laps. And they're marked upper and lower. And the lower is meant to be the, the lap that you actually lap your parts on. Upper is the conditioning lap, regardless of what shape they are to get what you're after, um, just so you don't lose track of which is which. Um, so I always take that and take the, up, the lap and swirl it in. Now, the other example is, um, and this is a pretty neat technique, and I think I showed it in one of my videos, um, on the um, surface plate laps, the 18-inch square laps, I take a, a fan, a fan brush. The brushes they're actually like almost like a single layer of bristles and a big wide fan artist brush. Reason for that being that you don't want a regular brush because you're going to end up with a ton of particles all stuck in this big wad of bristles. You don't want that. You just want something that'll spread them out, can easily be washed out because it's basically almost just a single layer of 
of bristles across. You take that, you put your dry diamond powder in a, in a stainless little pan, put your alcohol in it, you put the lap on the crane, flip it upside down, and you brush the, the slurry on the bottom of the lap with the alcohol and things so that it all doesn't go in the grooves and sits on the peaks. You paint the whole thing so it's nice and uniform, take it over in the crane, drop it on the plate, you're good to go, and the thing's been nice and uniformly charged with a nice even layer. Um, and on, in, in, in the case of um, lapping granite, you don't want any lubrication. You want it to be dry, so that's why the alcohol is the carrier. But the alcohol will actually have that particle actually stick to the plate, even after it's dried dry on the plate. Wow. I kind of remember you doing the upside or something on your uh, on your project with the surface plate. All right, let's see what else we got. You guys have been awesome with great questions. Um, okay, I'm gonna a I'm gonna pass along this question mostly because I have no idea what he's talking about. Fad Radcater says, "What would be a good tool?" For a tender lapper, oh, okay, for a, a newbie, uh, for a tender lapper to make for education of lapping. So what should a, a, a uh, artisan who is learning to lap make and go use as part of their education? Uh, if I was just out for a minimal, if I just wanted to experience lapping, um, get a chunk of uh, three inch or four inch, whatever, continuous cast iron, um, whack off two pieces, face them off, groove them. Even if you just file grooves in, doesn't have to be fancy. Um, you can um, get a, a, a reasonably suitable uh, abrasive slurry and some hardened pieces that are uh, preferably round. But to really, um, to really uh, experience the whole thing, you need to, um, have the optical flats to be able to quickly see the shape that you're getting. If you want to learn how to get the lapping going, if you just want to learn how to lap in general, I mean, just lapping, that, that doesn't take anything. The, 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 the real art is in making it do what you want, meaning flat or round. So for flatness, that's where you need to be able to assess what the lap is doing and adjust accordingly and get used to this actual whole practice of the lap on top gets concave and just work with that, go back and forth, keep experimenting. And yeah, that's, you know, having a, um, um, a, uh, a light source and an optical flat, you know, it's all of a sudden it's now, it's not a trivial minor thing, but it's, it's necessary though that there's magic in forget the shape of the lap. You can surface grind laps till you're blue in the face. Then they're not going to give you the, the flat part and with that not at least not at least not in my experience <laughs> and here's and here's the proof uh, the, the good way to do this is when you, uh, i can take my two laps my upper and lower i have a lap that i know i'm doing these these uh keyway gauges and i'm getting you know gauge block flatness dead straight lines i mean as flat as the optical flat is all right if i take that and i go over to the lap that's the top lap and go on there, that thing is so con, the, the lap is so concave, it's ridiculous. The part is completely junk if I lap it on that one. So that proves the fact that you, having a flat lap in hand lapping. Now, the last thing I'm gonna say is the, the, the in hand lapping, when I say, you know, people say yes about figure eight, and I say forget figure eight, it's because there, the, you have to uh, very, very carefully be thinking about the forces you're putting on this piece of material. Mm -hmm. You have to be putting your forces on down as close to the plate as possible so that you're not tipping because just the slightest little bit of tipping action is going to give you convexity on the part that isn't because of the lap. So you start combining that with all these other things, you can chase your tail forever mm -hmm. because you're doing multiple things that are causing the problem. That technique of of how you hold the part. I, I think I actually described it in my uh, magic surface plate video. I talked about the, the, how you hold the part and actually intentionally leaning, counteracting what you know is happening as you push. Those things are, are the magic of getting the lap, getting as good as the lap is capable of. 
So you have to have that mastered first, such that the changes you make to the lab, you're not you're not chasing your tail with bad technique. And the, the reason I say forget figure eight, I'm not talented enough to do that dynamically in a constantly changing orientation doing this eight. Not to mention the fact a figure eight is going to wear a shape in your plate. You want to be doing circles. You can change direction, but on a round plate, you need to be doing circles if you're doing a round part and going around or doing the straight line technique I talked about where you're really focusing on holding the part down. Um, and there's uh, the other things involved are uh, heat from your hands. You start doing gauge block flatness, you can't be touching the part. So you make a little plastic carrier that has bearing pads at 0.2236 spacing from the ends so that it's not bending the part. Uh, from there and the pressure edge is all the way down at the bottom of the plate So the part that's forcing it is all the way down at the surface. That's so you're not you're not leaning the part and You put it in that little cage and you lap with that so that you're not thermally distorting it You're not bending it with your hands and then you check and yeah, there's there's a lot to it, but Just it's just a matter of applying basic mechanical principles <laughs> And being aware of all of them. How come it always comes down to the basics? I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's no fair. It's no fair. Yeah. Um, well, we're we're past the top of the hour, and I want to say thank you very, very much for sharing, Robin. This was like awesome. This was like a sip of water from a fire hydrant. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was fun. Would Would you be willing to come back sometime? Sure. We'll keep. We'll go to. We'll go to the second. Uh, the second phase of lapping, and it gives everybody a chance to go uh, lap something. And then come yeah. with uh, with Queen. yeah. So Robin, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. And uh, everybody, we're going to wrap it up here. Um, you know, if you have any questions, uh, save them up, and we'll try to get something going. Uh, Robin, thanks again. Thank you. Peace. See ya.